Bonnie Jill Laughlin here, joined by my co-host, Adam Copeland, and we are on the Weekly Pass. And next, a legend in the Bay, an executive from VP to president to GM with the 49er during their heydays, Copes, 80s and 90s, with four Super Bowl rings, Carbon Policy. Carbon, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Bonnie. It's a pleasure. It's actually, uh, it's it's uh, kind of festive being on with the two of you today. <laughs> so how are you doing? Like, catch us up. I mean, I know you got the winery, the uh, Casa Piena Vineyards, and you're still kind of involved a lot with football as well as an attorney and get involved in some of those um, from the stadiums and different legal, you know, things. You know, catch us up. Well, I've been, you know, having uh, quite a time of it, leading a very active life, very full life. But uh, I have to tell you, there's more time in my life now for things like family and uh, enjoying friends, and I actually go to lunch, which, uh, you know, do you remember that movie? What was it? <clears throat> was it Wall Street or when Michael Douglas said lunch is for wimps? And uh, I think you're right. I think that is Wall time, I kind of believed that at one time, you know, and uh, but now he doesn't know what he's been missing. And uh, it's 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 really uh, it's it's really been great for me. I I'm very, very busy, but Unlike my former life, I don't work as hard as I used to work, and I don't have the pressure I used to have. Uh, so it's uh, it's kind of all those dividends coming together and uh, providing me with a, a pretty nice opportunity, living in one of the great spots of the world, and yet still staying involved also uh, in the, the NFL and, and certainly in the community, Northern Ohio, I beg your pardon, Northern California community. And I even had a chance to go back and do a little bit of something for a couple of schools in northern Ohio. So uh, I wouldn't have had time to do that before. Yeah, people don't realize, Carmen, when you're an executive in that front office, especially a GM, you don't have much time for anything. It was 24-7, Bonnie. And you knew. And you were there during some of the busiest times, too. You were there in, what, 94, 95? Yeah, 94 through 96 as a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you have a Super Bowl ring, don't you? I do because of you and Eddie D. I've got my my Super Bowl ring, and I love it. I still have it today, and I still wear it. Oh, bravo! I, I, there's no question. The cheering was was a big part of helping Steve Young and the crew bring us home to the Super Bowl that year. Exactly, Carmen. Season. I had a lot to do with that Super Bowl. <laughs> yes, Come on. You did. I don't get enough and credit. I'll be the first to stand up and <laughs> scream it from Sutro Tower. <laughs> well, that's that's it's so funny that that comes up, Carmen, because I actually think that that's, that was an important part of the legacy that, that you and Eddie D had with the 49ers and that everybody was treated like a part of the team and the organization. Yes, that's absolutely. the story is that from top to bottom, if you were selling popcorn or if you were throwing touchdowns, you were part of that organization do you still feel like that's something that's held important in in uh, pro teams across the league or across other sports, or is that something that was unique to you guys? You're right, by the way. That that is the way pe- the 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 organization ran. That's the way people were treated. And it, it, I don't know if I have the time to give you a real quick story from what one of our Super Bowl. Well, no, we'd love to hear that. So one of the Super Bowl ring ceremonies got us in a little trouble with the league, I might add, because of the so-called salary cap, (laughs) included taking everyone over to Hawaii for an extended trip. Do you remember that, Bonnie? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You were on that trip. Yes, and you guys were the first ones, I think, to do that, do actually a ring ceremony. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And if you'll remember, Bonnie, everything was available to everyone. The helicopter rides, scuba diving, mm-hmm. fishing, all of the elements that could possibly be enjoyed by, by you know, the, uh, the island of Kauai mm-hmm. were made available. 
and it was first come first serve. And I'll never forget. Uh, you'd have to line up and you'd sign up for this or sign up for that. And uh, a very, very key, key player uh, wanted to sign up for a helicopter ride at a certain time. And he got there and he saw that there was somebody signed up for it already. And he had to take the next time available. And the somebody signed up ahead of him was the fella and his wife who would come in after hours and clean the facility. And uh, I, I just thought that, you know, that was such a special time and the way people were treated to, to feel like they were truly part of the team, even if they didn't put on pads, even if they weren't mm-hmm. coaching, even if they weren't cheering, if, even if they weren't in the office upstairs making executive decisions, you were part of the team. And oh, by the way, you got, you got your, your time uh, allocated ahead of a pro bowler. And, um, and, and everybody liked it. No, you know, everyone liked the idea that that's the way it was. And it, it, I think what's happened now, I think as people are looking back, they do realize it wasn't, it wasn't just hype. It wasn't just, shall we say, marketing. It was true. The 49ers were a family. It's a first-class organization. It's, it's, it's just unique, and I, I feel like that there are some teams that are still around. You hear guys talk about that. In the NBA, I know Mark Cuban treats his players really well in Dallas. There are guys who, who want to play for organizations like that. Did you feel that because that was a widespread mentality across the 49ers back then that you got more out of the players, or was it the reverse of that, that the players knew that they were looked after so that they worked harder to give you guys more? Is there Was there some sort of balance there? I think that it, it, it was a combination but one of the key factors was Eddie DeBartolo and his authenticity. Mm-hmm. He was a sportsman, first of all. He was a sportsman before he was a businessman. He cared about the game. He cared about the players, and he wanted to win. And I must tell you, uh, with Eddie, being involved in the NFL carried with it a different form of currency. To many owners, the currency was what you would think it would be, the bottom line. Eddie's currency was in wins. He wanted to make sure that he could amass the number of wins that would make his franchise the best and give everybody a sense of pride for having been part of it. I also feel, however, that in the, in the process of handling things the way they were handled and treating players and the organization the way they were treated, they felt that they were they were happy to be part of that that scenario, and I, and they wanted to continue to be part of the scenario, uh, but I, but I have to give most of the credit to Eddie for creating the culture and the and the, the ethos, if you will, that that surrounded every element of the organization. And you know, I'm going to tell you, and and Bonnie, I know you'll 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 readily agree to this. There's no one who could sniff out a phony faster than a pro player in a locker room. I mean, you could walk in there and you could think, oh boy, I'm going to impress these guys. And they may smile at you and laugh at your joke and pat you on the back and yes, sir, and so forth. They, they figure you out instantaneously. They'll play the game with you, you know, but when they know you're real, they let you into their, their heart and they'll let you into their whole soul. And, uh, and, Eddie did the same thing. He let them into his heart and his soul. 
And there you have it. You know, it was magical. Now, Carmen, you went from counsel for the Niners to VP to, to GM president. Walk us through that journey from growing up in Youngstown, Ohio with the DeBartolos. Well, first of all, I was never a general manager. I was president and CEO, but not general manager. I thought you were a GM but, uh, as well. Huh. No, I tried to. I had a, they, the GMs answered to me, but I, I, I tried to really not put my two cents into, you know, the, the shall we say, football operations, unless it impacted the either the the, the brand or the uh, or the dignity or the rules or the uh, or, or, or the or the best interest of the team. Uh, but other than that, making football decisions would always rest with the football people. I would get involved in negotiating certain key contracts. I would obviously I was deeply involved in terms of dealing with the salary cap. Okay, there we go. When it start, yeah, when it, that's where people always thought I was the general manager because I was so intricately involved in the beginning, especially with of the salary cap, trying to keep us alive, if you will, because <laughs> they were trying to they were trying to dismantle us, and they came close to doing it. They call they those really guys did. salary cap experts now. That's what they call yeah, them. Yes, yeah, they are, and you know what? They are experts. I mean, they're you know when I was there, it was kind of like, okay, how do we handle this and survive? Now it's all, you know, it's computerized. And by the way, I, you know, I, I, I wasn't using a computer or anything else. It's, uh, it, it was an interesting episode in my life and my career. But um, basically, I started off wanting to be a trial lawyer, and I was a trial lawyer, and I was practicing law at a time when you could practice a variety of types of laws. And uh, I wind up um, actually befriending and becoming a, uh, the personal attorney to this feisty young guy from Notre Dame whose father was a shopping center magnate in, in, in our Youngstown, Ohio community. And and then all of a sudden I started representing, you know, the family on some matters and his father on some private matters. And and then all of a sudden this kid, 30 years old, winds up buying an NFL football team. When he, when he first told me he bought a football team, I said, Eddie, I didn't know the Cleveland Browns were for sale. <laughs> he, he says, I, he says, I didn't buy the Cleveland Browns. I bought the San Francisco 49ers. Now, you two have to remember, in 1977, San Francisco was halfway around the world as far as Ohio was concerned. It would be like us thinking about Singapore now or something like that. And uh, I said, why would you buy the 49ers? He said, because they were for sale. <laughs> and, uh, and that started it. To, as a matter of fact, that very same day that he announced to me he bought the Niners, he says, and I'm going to get you to give up this nickel-dime law practice you have, and you're going to come with me, and we're going to do some things out there. And, I, of course, I, I nodded. I said, yeah, sure, of course. And uh, he took me by the hand about a year and a half later, and, and then it became one of those journeys that, uh, you know, you, you, you read about, dream about. You always think, well, you wonder, could it ever happen? And it did. And what a great front office and coach. I mean, with you know, Eddie D., yourself, John McVay, and even Bill Walsh. I mean, that's like the fearsome foursome right there. Walsh was amazing. I mean, he was just – he was a complex guy, very complex guy. And in Eddie, Eddie, in many ways, was a very simple guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walsh would <clears throat> be very manipulative in a intellectual way. Eddie was very, here's the way it is. I'm coming at you with the way I see it. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you from my heart how I feel. And, oh, by the way, if you don't get, if you don't get straightened out, you and I got a problem, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and there I was in the middle of it trying to, 
you know, bounce back and forth and deal with it and make sure it didn't get out of line because they were a dynamic duo. And what you don't want is to allow that combination to become too one-sided or too disjointed or too effervescent or too stale. So um, it, it made for some very, very interesting times. It, it really did. And then George Seifert was a, you know, he's one of my best friends. Oh, yeah. He's such a good guy, and he's such a good, he's a gr- great coach. And you know, following Bill Walsh is no easy task. Yeah. And uh, it, and just as following Joe Montana was like climbing, you know, one of the, 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 the one of those Himalaya mountains. Himalayan mountains with uh, with no oxygen and very little supplies. It's 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 an awesome awesome task, and uh, but we managed to do it. Everybody kind of stepped up, and we got that other Super Bowl. We should have had more, no question about it. We should have had more, both under Bill and under George. But uh, you know that always happens, and uh, you would think five's enough. But when you look back and think of those other games and you say to yourself, God, we should have had at least seven, you know, and uh, uh, but but really five was great. It was it was a great run. And by the way, I'm trying to think and you, you two can help me. I believe when you think about it, that we were the team that went through uh, a Hall of Fame coach and a transition to a Super Bowl coach who won an additional two Super Bowls. We went from a Hall of Fame quarterback and four, four Super Bowls to a Hall of Fame quarterback and a Super Bowl. A variety of records in between. We went from a system of player, shall we say, movement or lack of movement to a system of free agency mm-hmm. uh, and still won a Super Bowl. I mean, we went through transition and the one constant was Eddie DeBarlow. So uh, it, it, it's kind of an interesting uh, proposition. And uh, we managed transition and still managed to stay on top. I, I, I think that's one of the things I'm proudest of. It's not only, uh, I mean, you, you look at the Patriots. I mean, how how do you do anything but Neil and genuflect before what they've been able to create? I mean, it's just uh, incredible. And Brady, uh, he's amazing. But let's see what happens after after Brady's not there. Let's see what happens after yeah, Belichick's right. not. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah I, I do. And it's, it's interesting you mentioned the transition over an era because, again, we're seeing that same sort of thing with the Patriots. And I was going to ask you, even before you brought them up, about, about if you find any mirroring similarities between what you guys did and what they're doing. The difference is that you're talking about maybe even more impressively doing it with multiple coaches over different eras and different quarterbacks, Hall of Fame quarterbacks. The mm-hmm. Patriots have done it with one coach and one quarterback, though still over a, a generation. I mean, there are kids that are in high school now that have never seen Tom Brady not go to the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're right. It's incredible. I mean, how could it be a Super Bowl without Tom Brady? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, <laughs> But it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting, uh, shall we say, ex- uh, uh, excursion. If you start giving some of this some deep thought and thinking about what you go through, and and just try to imagine what they're going through already with some of the players that aren't there. Uh, when you have Gronkowski, I think they miss him terribly. Oh, I agree. Yeah, Amendola, mm-hmm. Edelman is my hero in life. Okay, and look. 
he's banged up and I mean, and, and they're double teaming him. I've watched some of the, you know, uh, some of the coverage uh, where, where that poor guy, he, he's, he's barely able to, 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 to move without being shadowed, you know, and, and, uh, and you see the difficulty that they're having. Now they're going to, you know, they probably win their division. And then, you, you know, you never sell Brady short. You never sell Belichick so short. Uh, and the Patriots short when, when they're in the playoffs. And I, I understand all that. But, but you see a difference. I mean, you, you do. You see a definite difference. And they're going to be going through a transition. And Bob Kraft, the Kraft family, Jonathan Kraft, I mean, they do an excellent job of, shall we say, running and owning uh, that franchise. And I think people are very proud of their franchise up there in uh, that part of the world. But um, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. And, and uh, you, you know, you look at Jerry Jones and, you know, God, I mean, the, the league does so well when Dallas does well, but, you know, transitioning from Jimmy Johnson and, and of course they did get a Super Bowl with uh, Switzer, but Jerry it was, Switzer. No, that was, uh, yeah. we all know that was Jimmy's team. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was the whole team. And, and, and then after the, uh, you know, after the exit of Troy Aikman, and Michael Irving, and, uh, Emmett Smith, uh, and uh, help me out. Who is the uh, tight end I used to Jay love? Jay Novacek? Novacek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you see how hard it is to put it all back together again. Yeah. Uh, and, um, it, but, but that's what makes football so interesting. Also, I, I just, uh, I think football is really displaying this year, why it's America's passion. And you have no idea who's going to come in and win no matter what the record, no matter what the situation. And I, I was so fearful of that game on Sunday that the 49ers played because I just saw an opportunity for a team that can play at a certain level at certain times coming in and catching them at a moment in time uh, when they could be vulnerable, even though they're at home. And, you know, four and nine team coming in and playing a, uh, what were they, 11 and two? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, um, and they're the number one seed and you know, all that goes with it. Uh, but um, you, you, you just, that's why they play the game, of course. Everybody says it, and that's the reason they say it. Now, Carmen, I don't know if you saw Monday Night Football, but Drew Brees broke the record for most career TD passes with 540. And it's, you know, it came up about Joe Montana. He only had 244, Carmen. I mean, it just shows how much the game has changed. I mean, did you notice that, or do you think about that at all? The game has changed. And, um, and of course, <clears throat> later in Joe's uh, career, he was still part of the league when they made rule changes uh, to – you know, increase, hopefully increase scoring and that sort of thing um, in terms of how the defense can, re- you know, react to receivers and so forth. But, but Joe, you have to understand, he, he, he was, he came at it from a pretty tough perspective and, uh, and he got hit a lot. And Joe had to make things happen. He wasn't handed a lot on a platter such as, I'm going to give you a lot of time here now, Joe. I'm going to, you know, there was a lot of scheming going on Mm -hmm. to give Joe's, you know, a chance to come out of the game alive. And uh, he he was just so smart in the way he can handle every element of the game. And, uh, and, and it came through. I mean, he, he used his, 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 his wisdom, if you will, football wisdom, as well as his, his finesse, uh, 
to maneuver his way to victories. And I mean, uh, I'm I'm seeing it today, of course. You know, Joe Joe pays a price for all of those games where you saw him being hit, and yeah, and you you know, he's not exactly a uh, a thick, stalwart kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he may, you know the story when Dwight Clark first met him up there in. Uh, Rockland. Remember what uh, you're going to say, yeah. Remember the story where he's he's having breakfast. He sees this guy come in and sweats. He knows those are the 49ers mm-hmm. sweats. And he calls him over. He says, you want to join me? Yeah, I join you. He says, Hi. He says I'm Dwight Clark. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm a receiver. He says, are you the new kicker? You're a quarterback? He says, really? You look like a kicker. <laughs> Who are you? Okay. He says, I'm Joe Montana. He says, oh, you're that guy from Notre Dame I heard about you. Yeah. You beat us one time. And he's going on like that. But he was convinced he was a kicker when he walked in. That's so funny. And, uh, and Joe survived it. And he thrived. And, you know, he's our guy. And then Steve was marvelous. I mean, how blessed are you, really, when you think about that? Yeah. It's, uh, it, it was a very good run. Now, this Jimmy Garoppolo, I love him. I just love him, and I just wanted to see him develop, uh, and he is developing. You know, he's he's got his moments, but he'll he got robbed of a year of development last mm-hmm. year when he had that injury. That was his year of really learning and really getting into the groove and so forth and so on. And thank God they put they put a running game around him this year. They got a good offensive line, uh, and my favorite guy. George, how could you not love George Kittle? Oh, the people's tight end. Yes. Oh, yeah, he's the best. <laughs> I mean, his personality, it reminds me. This team's starting to develop some personality like our team's had. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and you start liking these guys and, and their attitude and their fight. And, uh, you know, Eddie and I were talking yesterday, and we said Kittle is like a combination of uh, Brent Jones. Now, I'm going to date you a little bit. John Frank. Do you remember John yeah, Frank? Yeah, yeah, We talked about him recently. Yeah. First-round pick. And uh, Dwight Clark. Because Dwight, all these guys were fighters, and they had that attitude, and they'd get out there, and they'd jump on anybody, no matter who they were. And, uh, and they were funny. Um, as a matter of fact, if you'll remember, the only player who did not want his own room on the road when we were at a hotel or locally, when we always stayed at a hotel before a home game mm-hmm. was Steve Young. He needed Brent Jones to room with him. I remember reading that. Yeah. He needed him to room with him and Brent would talk him down off the ceiling sometimes. But, uh, I mean, but, but this Kittle's like a combination of those guys. And I think he's just, Fantastic! I just hope they don't overuse them, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I think, like, when, when things are going well, obviously, when you're winning, guys are happy, guys are bubbly. But Kittle has seemed like this, even last year. I mean, he broke that tight end record with a backup quarterback and Nick Mullins or a four-win team, and he seemed to have that same personality. Do you think that, that what Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are doing, and, and I'm sure you've known Kyle for a long time, and, of course, John Lynch played down at Stanford and stuff. I, I just wonder about, are they embracing that same sort of thing where guys are able to be themselves instead of just being sort of a cookie-cutter type of football player and where that plays into this success? Well, first of all, that's a great observation you're making, and it goes, again, to Kittle's makeup. He was he was George Kittle last year before they were right. experiencing this kind of success. 
last year when no one gave them a shot to even be in contention for the playoffs. So it's not like, okay, all of a sudden he started finding himself as he's been winning. I mean, this is the, this is the guy. It's who he is. This yeah. is what he is and who he is. And I think, I think the fact that John Lynch has played the game and played the game at a level that we can all respect where he is on that list of finalists to be considered for the Hall of Fame and has been for several years. I think that makes all the difference in the world. And obviously, I think Shanahan, being as smart as he is, and also being so immersed in football at, 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 at the level that we're talking about, having been with his dad at training camp, when some of these other characters that we're describing, and when I say characters, I say it with love and with, and with appreciation, uh, we're, we're saying hi to the kid. You know, uh, he's, they've got to appreciate what you just summarized as uh, players being, being who and what they are when they are productive members of the team. And I, I thank God they're starting to really come together now. I think they've learned a little bit on the job, both of them. Some mistakes were made. This last draft, uh, their, their, their first-round pick, the rookie, goes to the Pro Bowl. I mean, think, just think of that for a moment. And, and he's, not only, he's not only played and, and, and contributed greatly, but he's, he's more than lived up to, in my opinion, his uh, billings. And when you get a guy with his kind of billings living up to you know, the reputation, this is, this is a significant find. And right now we have a quarterback, and we have a quarterback that we're buying into, and we, yeah, we'd like to see some more consistency, and we will see more consistency. But they put that deal together, and that was a huge piece in the whole puzzle. I, I, I have some real optimism about where, where the team is headed and where the executive team, when I say executive team, I kind of in, I include the coach in that, and where the executive team is headed in terms of, uh, of maintaining this momentum. So, and look, at, look what happened to the fans. I have to tell you, it's like they're reborn. Yep. Faithful, some and they're my, traveling too, Karma. They're going on the road. Yeah. That's what I heard. Yeah. I've I heard that they, they've really traveled, and, and it's like it, it's like – the, the 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 kid that everybody loved that seemed to run away from home has been found and he's back again you know <laughs> and uh it's great it's 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 really invigorating so carmen you think the niners go all the way and if they do i hope we see you in miami because remember the last time they were in miami that's when we won 94 that's team. right yeah that's exactly right and that was a great oh that was that was a great game and and by the way Kyle Shanahan's father, I'll never forget, Saturday night before the Super Bowl. Now, Eddie is superstitious. So we'd have to go through different things, you know. And then, uh, it, you know, Saturday we'd, we'd do something. We'd stop somewhere. We'd have a, a certain drink at a certain time. Maybe we wouldn't even go out to a restaurant for dinner. We'd have room service. Before that, we'd visit the team because they'd all be there, you know, at wherever they were staying on Saturday night because we would separate the players from the uh, families. I think we'd do it on Friday <clears throat> or maybe Saturday. I'm not sure which. But uh, we were back there, and everybody's very kind of, you know, sullen, serious. Not sullen, serious. And uh, Eddie's saying, oh, this, this San Diego team, they're getting better, and uh, Bobby Ross is a great coach, and 
you know, you Bobby Beathard, you know, they seem confident and uh, you know, this is a this is a big deal and so forth and so on and uh uh you know, yeah, I, and it's going on like that. And we see Shanahan. He says, How you feeling, coach? Fine. He says, Oh, we're gonna kick their ass tomorrow. We're gonna <laughs> roll right over them. <laughs> Eddie almost has a heart attack. Because he, immediately he thinks we're jinxed. That's it. We're too confident. We're we're going down, you know. And but he was and, right. Was just, <laughs> yeah, but it was hilarious, you know. I mean, Mike was so so confident, you know. And so we left, and he says, "I wish he wouldn't have said that." I says, "He's confident," and he he says he should keep his confidence to himself. <laughs> That's it. And uh, we went out and and uh, handled business. <laughs> handled business. Yeah, that was. That was a lot of fun, and but those days, those memories were just uh, phenomenal. And we had fun in Miami. Miami was fun. Mm-hmm. It'll be it'll be fun again. Having them there, it'll be a lot of fun. Carmen, before I let you go, I mean, you know, Kyle Shanahan. I don't know if most people know that he was the ball boy during that time. Do you have any stories or anything funny that? I mean, because he was a kid then, and I remember you know seeing him around when I was a cheerleader. And now look at him, the head coach of the 49ers. I know he used to go up to camp too. Yeah, he'd spend some time with Mike up at camp, up at, uh, and we were still at Rockland then. And um, and for well, can I tell you, he, he, in all honesty, he was a nice kid, but he was, you know, he didn't say much, and 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 you know, it was probably the way to be when you're you know around a professional team like that and so forth. But and you know, you always kind of knew he loved being around and. And um, and Mike thought the world of him, obviously. And then you'd hear the stories from Mike, and you knew somehow, some way, football was going to be part of his life. But who ever dreamt? I mean, who could even imagine or script yeah. that he's going to wind up being the uh, head coach of the San Francisco 49ers? It's just uh, just amazing. And and here it is, and, it, and it's great drama. It's great. It's it's a marvelous story, and it's a marvelous story that's playing out in terms of real life. Well, Carmen, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I got to get back out to Casa Piana because that vineyard is gorgeous. I mean, you should, Coach, you should see this place where Carmen lives. It is, you said, you said oh, wine. You said vineyard and wine. I'm in, Carmen. No big deal. Yeah. Oh, Cabernet Sauvignon. I'm it's, in. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's a health food, yeah. you know? It's, it's a grape. It's a fruit salad is what it is. Yeah. There you go. Well, thank, well, thank you so you much, Carmen. Much. We appreciate Christmas. it. Yes. Holidays. Same to you. And I'll be hope to see you soon, you and Gail soon. All right. Thank okay. you again. Thanks, Thanks so much, Carmen. Bye-bye. Bye, Chad. Bye. Good stuff from Carmen Policy. I love him. I mean, him and Eddie D. I mean, talk about class act. I mean, they are the reason why people always talk about the 49ers had some of the best owners in front office because of people like Carmen Policy. Well, and it's not like it's not like it was a team handed down to Eddie either. Again, mm-hmm. he bought the team in 77. Uh, the Bay Area was Raider country. You know, that's yeah. what it was. It was Al Davis and, and the Raiders were... Uh, we're the kings of the crop here, and then the 49ers go on if they win, you know, five, and they're the team of the decade, four in the 80s, one more in 94, and maybe back on the map yeah. again this Created year. Created the dynasty in yeah. the 49ers faithful, oh, yeah. so it's great talking. 49ers ball, especially right now, going into the holidays. Um, we'll see where the Niners end up. It's a lot determined in the next couple of weeks. A couple right? more games, Saturday against the Rams, next Sunday against the, uh, the Seahawks, and then mm-hmm. the NFL postseason does not get much better. Yeah, so we'll be back after the holidays, so Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to you. I'm Adam Copeland. Yeah, and I'm Bonjo Laughlin. That's what we can pass.